I would like to encourage those of you that are, in all my years of pastoring, I learned that there were certain big Sundays in the church at Calvary there. Our Christmas Eve service just blew the walls out. Everybody came, and of course, Easter, and we would have five services on Easter. And then Mother's Day, that was right up there too. But Father's Day, you could shoot a cannon through the church and not hit anybody. <laughs> but uh, next Sunday, I, I do want to bring a message on uh, for Father's Day, um, just to kind of tee it up for a second. One of the great um, sources for the crises that we're feeling in so, across our country in so many ways is, is the breakdown of the home and the family. And along with that, our uh, fathers that are stepping down rather than stepping up in the home and family. And the Bible has something to say about that. I'm playing with a couple of things right now. I might look at King David, um, or I might look at um, uh, the marks of authentic manhood. And I'm not sure what it's going to be yet, so you can show up next Sunday with me to figure out what direction we're going. But it will be about that. And so, uh, and then, uh, then after that, then Sheree and I are, uh, when it gets this hot here, this is a better, pl- uh, Las Vegas is a better place to be from than to be at. And Gary just told me that it hit 114 here yesterday. I thought we were hot. It was 106 in Las Vegas. Well, we've got a little place near the Oregon coast. Anybody here know where Coos Bay is? Uh, anybody here by any chance know where Coquille is? That's about 15 miles from Coos Bay. And we, we have an old place there. When I say old, I mean it. It's 130 years old. Actually, 132 now. So it's nothing fancy, but it's been in our family for years. And that's a great place to spend July if you're from Las Vegas. And so while it's cracking 116 here, you can just think about Pastor Stan. We'll probably have our boat out on the bay crabbing. And then uh, we've got a fire ring because at night, ooh, it gets a little chilly. And we'll be cooking s'mores with grandkids and all that. So um, anyway, so that's where we're going to be for the month of July. Pardon me? <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I got to tell you a little story on that. When I was pastoring at Calvary in Las Vegas, that's been back uh, for 15 years, starting in 1990. I, I used to go up uh, in July to uh, to Coquille up there, and this is this is a true story. And I, we would just talk about what a great time we had up there. And I had people in the church that wanted to know if they could come up there and join us. Well, there's a campground uh, in Bandon, which is nearby, Bullard's Campground. And so we were going up there, and I invited the church to come, anybody who wanted to. And we had 60 people from the church (laughs) that came up and showed up there. Boy, did we have a great time. They were out salmon fishing, berry picking, crab uh, clam digging, and uh, that was a great thing. And to this day, there are certain people that used to be in that church that still go up there in the summers. So anyway, end of story. But um, uh, so if anybody wants to come and join us in July, let me know. And uh, just put your address up on. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Um, but growing up in the church, I don't know how many times I heard that uh, Jesus was returning and the rapture was going to happen before next week. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, I don't know how many potential antichrists I lived through. I can remember when Henry Kissinger was supposed to be the antichrist. And um, there, were, there were different ones that were there. And uh, there's almost, uh, it reached a point where there was almost uh, end times fatigue if you grew up in a, a Pentecostal church or a Southern Baptist church. But that doesn't change the fact that we are living in the last days. And so I'm not going this morning to uh, try to set any dates or to ant- identify the Antichrist or try to, you know, um, 
drill down and uh, zero in on exactly what the prophetic calendar is. However, I will say this. We are living in times of prophetic fulfillment and significance. Now, uh, I don't know if anybody here can remember. It's been, was it February when I, used to start, when I started coming out here? It was early in the year anyway. And uh, there was a message I've preached. I can't remember exactly what it was right now, but I remember the, the, the title. But I do remember the thought. I was talking about Revelation generations, plural. How there have been moments in history where things shape up uh, between the forces of good and evil. And it reaches a collision point. This goes back even to the Old Testament, by the way. Uh, the prophecies of the day of the Lord, when Israel and then Judah, when they fell away from the Lord and there was judgment day that was coming. You know what I'm talking about, those of you that have served the Lord a long time and read through the Old Testament. And that has happened time and again in history. If, you, if we were alive during the period of World War II, don't you think that... Um, Adolf Hitler was a good candidate for Antichrist. And he was in many respects. John tells us that many Antichrists have already come. And so we reach this, these crisis points in the human story where there is a confrontation between good and evil. Kind of a showdown that takes place. And ultimately, it is always good that triumphs over evil. But boy, can there be some tough times when evil raises its heads. And I believe we're living in one of those times today. And so I want to talk about um, signs of the times. And I've got my clicker here. Let's see if we... There we go. Now we're, now we're on my... And by the way, thank God for technology and thank God that the Holy Spirit reminds me sometimes because I send these PowerPoints over to Vinette. Um, yesterday I was a little late. I sent them over on Saturday. And this morning I thought, you know, I just better bring my computer because if somehow those didn't come across, then I'll have them on my computer and I can give them to Vinette. So, Vinette, so I walked in and Vinette said, oh, you didn't send any PowerPoints this week. So I, thank you, Holy Spirit. Here's my computer. And so we got them loaded. So here we go. So you can follow along in this way. And, and I'm calling this a prophecy update. So I'm not saying that those other times in which we live, where we have memory of good and evil and spiritual warfare and that affecting us, those weren't wrong. Those were other chapters and episodes in this ongoing story of the battle between good and evil, but we are pointed to the granddaddy of all fulfillments. And I don't know that we have ever been, well, I know for sure. I can say this 100% for sure. We are closest to the, closer to the last end of days than we were 10 years ago. Now, don't ask me to dial in exactly when it is, but I'm telling you, I have never in my life seen the table set any better and more completely than it is right now. And there's a, there's a passage of Scripture here. It just, it's, I'm coming out of uh, Luke chapter 21. These are the words of Jesus. And he says this, When these things begin to take place, and he's just listed a whole litany, of signs of, of last days. Um, when you see these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And, and that's what I want us to focus on today. And we're going to look at some of the things Jesus said in Luke, but we're going to play a little Bible hopscotch here because there's some other passages of Scripture that come out of Romans and different places. And there's just seven of these signs that, I, that I, I want to share with you today. And then maybe there's some other things. And we have this little um, sweet treat chat and chew time afterwards. Uh, you might have some questions or thoughts. And one of my big battles this week is I told Cherie, I said, man, this sermon's going to be two hours long. 
Now, I'm going to try to keep it down to about 30 minutes and consolidate some things. And there's just seven things, seven being the biblical number of completion, uh, seven things that I think stand out to me. Some of them maybe are obviously very apparent to you and others that maybe you hadn't quite thought of before that signal the fact that these are signs of the time and there is something confrontational that is about to happen in our world and I just pray it's the return of the Lord physically so we can put an end to all of this. But even if it's not the end of the end, I promise you, God is going to win this battlefield that we're in right now and this uh, war front that we're battling on right now. And so the first thing that I want us to, to look at here as we move along is combat. Now, you haven't heard that term before. Uh, actually, let's just call it mortal combat. Jesus talks about there will be wars and rumors of wars. Um, but then in this verse here, this is still in the chapter I just read from, then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now, I'm going to show off a little Greek here right now. That phrase actually reads in the Greek where it says nation against nation, Ethnos, ethnos. Ethnicity against ethnicity. Sound like something that's happening in America today? And then, Basileus epe Basilein. Kingdom against kingdom. And we see both of these things dramatically happening in our own country, in our own world, and around the world today. I'm telling you, America is not the 1619 project that some of the woke generation try to reinterpret our history to be. We've had some national sins. We didn't treat Native Americans very nice. We didn't treat African slaves very nice. There have been some sins that we still are reeling from. But all of that said, America has been remarkable at addressing those sins and those ills and creating opportunity for people that have been downtrodden. And I don't want to get off on that, on that rabbit trail right now. But the battle between races in our own country... Walking in this morning, Lynette was telling me about a close friend of hers that had a husband that was sent to a hospice. And this is happening as I speak. He's in the hospice right now. And because he was white, he was brutalized and beaten by the people in that care facility. Do I have that approximately right? And he's not expected to live. He's comatose right now. Why? Because he was white. He's an evil white American. Now, I don't know who these people were that were mistreating him. That's beside the point. But that happens all over the place now. It's ethnos against ethnos. But then, kingdom against kingdom. Ukraine and Russia. China building up its military to launch an attack on Taiwan. The little rocket man over in North Korea that is going to do more tests with nuclear warheads. Vladimir Putin, who in recent days has bragged about the fact that he has new Satan II missiles that can reach the coasts of the United States. These are deadly times. And I could go on, but I don't want this to be two hours long. You know what I'm talking about. Ethnos against ethnos. And kingdom against kingdom. Nature in upheaval. Number two. 
Still in Luke chapter 21. There will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilence in various places, and fearful events, great signs from... I guess I ran out of text there. Anyway, you know, you know what Scripture's talking about there. Great signs from heaven. I guess I lost the last line on this, on this slide. Now, there are other things. Now, let me tell you where this kind of connected with me. Do you remember the story of the Israelites when they were captive in Egypt? And the Lord sent Moses to deliver them from their Egyptian captivity. And there were the ten great plagues that were unleashed on Egypt. Am I the only one who ever wondered, duh, what's wrong with Pharaoh? Can't he see that there's something supernatural behind all of this? No. Between his wise men and magicians, they were able to rationalize those great plagues that were unleashed on Egypt. Now, there is a new religion in America today. It's the first church of the Green New Deal. And there, are, there is an upheaval in nature in our world today. Tornadoes in our own country. They say we're gearing up for a fierce hurricane season right now. Earthquakes. And you know, the list goes on and on. Is it possible... That God is once again, as he has in the past, using nature, what we would call climate change, as something to get our attention. But the modern pharaohs of today, the elite in our own country and western world, it's man-made climate change. Now, I'm sorry, that sounds to me like a very arrogant, narcissistic way to try to explain all this. Do we really think that we have within our own power to change the cycles of nature? Now, I, I think we need to do what we can. I hope all electric vehicles uh, become a reality. I'm not ready to buy mine yet. I just told Cherie today, you know, we've got our solar panels on our house, and I'd get a, if it was cheap enough, I'd get an electric car because I'd never have to fill up with gas. My electric bill is only $13 a month with the solar panels. Okay. So I mean, I'm for those things if, if, if it can work, but this idea that we have to Take control of the cycles of nature ourselves. How many believe that planet Earth has gone through climate change before? Yeah. But this is another sign of the times. Earthquakes, floods, on and on it goes. And I believe that there is something that the Holy Spirit could be using, God Almighty, to try to get our attention. After all, in Romans, Paul himself speaks about how creation is groaning for renewal since the fall has taken place. It's a sign of the times. And it is not that we are all to join the church of the Green New Deal. A third thing, scarcity and pandemic, or famines and pestilence. Now somebody might have to help me out on the last line here. I might, I might remember what it is. But um, Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures. This is out of Revelation chapter 6. Now depending upon when the rapture occurs, how many here are voting for a pre-tribulation rapture? Could I see your hand? I am, but we can't be sure about that one. But we may or may not be here when this takes place. Then I heard what sounded like a voice 
uh, among the four living creatures, saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a week's wages. The denarius... Um, the denarius was the, were the wages for a day's work in New Testament times. And so what he's saying is, when scarcity comes, it'll take all you can do in a day's work just to buy the food for yourself. If you want to stock up for a week, it's going to take you three days' wages to do that. And you know what I saw embedded in this as I was looking at it? There's a little hint of inflation there too, isn't there? The price rises. How many of you here, does inflation have you just a little bit concerned? Am I the only one that is losing my nest egg in the stock market right now? But prices rise when the scarcity takes place. And I think that would apply to, for those of us here in southern Nevada, um, the ongoing drought that we're in now. I heard something not too long ago from somebody who works for the forest department here. Um, or it couldn't be the forest department. One of, there's no forest here. But one of, one of the parks and recreations, that's where it was. And he said that the uh, climate people here in southern Nevada, they say uh, that our drought didn't just begin. We're in the midst of a 1,200-year drought. I hope he's wrong, and I hope that it's near the end of that. Well, I, yeah, I know. That's right. <laughs> but scarcity and pandemic, and I don't, you know, pestilence. I don't need to say much more about that, but that is happening. Is happening globally. I think that is another sign of the times. And these signs of the times are things that are intended. First of all, God is trying to get the attention of the world to turn back to Him. Secondly, the Lord is using these things and reveal them through Scripture to get our attention that it's time to get our house in order because these are serious days that we're living in right now. The next one. Lawlessness. This is out of Second Thessalonians. That day will not come until the rebellion occurs. There is a breakdown in law and order in our society right here that tells me that we are a nation in trouble. But it's breaking down in other parts of the world as well. Um, where do you start on this? In 2020, in Eugene, where I was living at the time, Eugene, Oregon, <clears throat> the Antifa came into town, and, and they were burning down businesses in Eugene. And I could tell you horror stories about that in Portland. I don't know if they've quit burning buildings down there yet. Lawlessness and disregard for the law and the riots that took place in the wake of the death of George Floyd. Uh, on and on it goes. And look what's happening right now uh, at the homes of the Supreme Court justices. A death threat against one of the justices this week. Our own president. And I'm sorry, I, I, I pray for our president every day. In the flesh, I'm praying the Lord would just take him out, except... We'd be going from dumb to dumber. But anyway, let's, let's get off of that for a second. I feel I'm in pretty safe country here in Overton. I see all the American flags and the Republican. Uh, but anyway, let's get off that. But he says that if, the, the, he said just this week, that, that if the verdict or the judgment of the court comes back, it's going to start a mini-revolution. Those are, those are incendiary words that are coming from leaders in our country. There is a spirit of lawlessness, and I, I don't know how that has a good ending on the trajectory where we're headed right now. And I'll say something about 
our nation in just a moment. But I'm telling you, if we can't live together in a democratic republic like we have right now, there's only one solution, and that is a police state and authoritarianism to hold us in check to keep us from tearing each other apart. And that spirit of lawlessness is running amok. Thank God. I mean, who would have thought that a word of hope would come from San Francisco? I was born there, so I'm making fun of my own roots here now. But, uh, but a, little, uh, a little while ago, uh, the parents in San Francisco fired three members of the school board. Good for them. And the DA was voted out of office because he wouldn't arrest anybody. There is a spirit of lawlessness. And this is a sign of the times. These aren't things that are just going to go away because I will tell you that there is something dark behind all of this. Something sinister. I haven't unraveled in my own mind exactly all of the details of evil, but I know it's there. And there is a mystery of evil that is at work, and evil does not operate independently of the sovereignty of God. Evil is always subservient to God. But sometimes God uses Satan and evil for his greater plans and purposes, and Satan functions as God's useful idiot. And this spirit of lawlessness is in our world today. And these things, we need to recognize this. And I'm going to come to the solution in just a moment. I just want to hit some of the highlights here. And then when man becomes God with a small g. Take a journey with me in your memory right now. Back to the Garden of Eden. When the serpent first introduces his slithering self to Eve. If you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God knows you will become like God. And there is something within the human heart. Remember, God created us as his good creation, but he gave us choice. And for choice, there must be an option. And there's something in our fallen nature that wants to be master of our own destiny. We want to be like God. We don't want God telling us what to do. We think we can make a better judgment. So in, when man becomes God here in Thessalonians, he will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God, or is, what's the last line there? What is it? I won't use this template for my slides next week. I tried to get creative, but this is cutting off the, the bottom lines that are there right now. And, and there is this sense in, in our world today, I, I, I have learned, and I've read a lot of books, and I've gone to a lot of school, but I have learned that there are things that speak into my heart and soul that cut against the grain of what people are telling me to think. And I believe that is the whispering of the Spirit in my life. And there is a, there is a hostility towards a transcendent God in our world today. Uh, we just think we are so smart. And we can figure out how to straighten out the climate problems on the planet. We can, through a, 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 a more equitable distribution of wealth, create uh, erase all of the problems of economic disparity. If we can just educate people enough, lawlessness will cease. 
You know, one of the big problems with this woke generation is they try to pick out the speck out of our eyes, but they don't recognize the plank in their own eyes. They can talk about societal evil, but they conveniently overlook their own fallen sinful nature. And we are all sinners. And so this, this, this attempt to try to deify the creature rather than the creator leads us nowhere. We are not capable of being masters of our own destiny and making the right choices. I can't make the right choice for my own life without God's help, let alone to try to direct the life of the planet because I am now God incarnate. It's crazy. And it's leading us down a path that is leading us to destruction. Let me keep moving. Nature worship. Out of Romans chapter 1, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. We don't think of ourselves as nature worshippers, but we are. I happen to be reading in Judges in my personal devotions right now. And I, I think it was Friday when I read last the story of Gideon, but it's true in the time of Deborah and the other judges as well. Time and again, there's this cycle in, in Jewish history. They get right with God, but prosperity comes and they become uh, more wanting to be more like the world and they slip into sin. And so the Amalekites or the Midianites or somebody's going to march on them and destroy them. And God would raise up a judge. This was before the kings. And the first thing the judge did was tear down the Asherah pole or the statue of Baal or Baal. These were the nature gods. These were the fertility cults. They believed that the cycles of nature was what controlled their destiny and their lives. I could go on and on about that, but I, I, I'm not going to. We do the same thing today. Now, it's our own natural instincts. Never mind, it's a dismissing of a, of a divinely established divine order of things. But we worship what we want to be true about nature. You see? And so that becomes... What becomes the controlling interest within our life? It might be knowledge. Science is the big one. I follow the science. The science moves around and changes. By definition, science is something that is to be driven by the evidence and the facts. But here's something I've discovered about my own human nature. I'm sure it's true of yours too. It's our predisposed disposition that we use to control where we want the science to go. So we look for reason to justify what we find within our own nature. And there is this nature worship. It's a form of that deification of ourself. And so, and it'll come clear in the last point that I have here before I, I draw this to a close. Perversion. In Romans chapter 126, and I encourage you to read, starting in the 18th uh, verse of Romans through the end of the chapter. Perversion is one of the signs of fallen, broken humanity in trouble. And one large expression of that is sexual perversion. You know, I'm just amazed at how we are just embedding within the fabric of our culture the whole LGBTQ 
litany of things. I'm a Giants fan. I know that's anybody else here a Giants fan? Yeah. You, you used to be? Okay, okay. <laughs> you know, I had a, I was at a birthday party yesterday with my grandson, and he asked me, "Do I like the Dodgers?" And I said, "No, I can't like the Dodgers. They're from SoCal. I was born in NorCal." <laughs> And you don't like anything from SoCal if you're from NorCal. And he said, well, I like the Giants and the Dodgers. And I put my hand on his head and I said, in the name of Jesus, heal. (laughs) I don't know if he's healed yet or not. So we were watching the Giants and Dodgers play yesterday. And it's Pride Day at Candlestick Park. So all of the players... And there are some players on some teams that refuse to wear the hats, but they have the rainbow color and the insignia that's there. Now let me say something. I'm not homophobic. My favorite uncle was gay. And one of the first people in the state of Oregon to die of AIDS in the 1980s. I have another, I have a cousin that is gay. I'm not, I'm not phobic on this. But there is an order of creation that nature worshipers never accept or recognize. And I've got to keep going here because I'm... Okay. And whether those perversions do not end well in the lives of people that embrace that lifestyle. You can't have a culture that's any more accepting of that than historically has probably ever been. And yet the suicide rate is higher. The drug addiction and alcohol abuse is higher. The suicide, I mentioned suicide already, it's just dysfunctional. The problems of loneliness in old age, the list goes on. And these perversions that take place You cannot bend or alter the orders of God's creation. And it could be a whole, maybe this would be something for the Q&A, because there's much more to be said on this. And then the gender bending stuff that's going on now. It doesn't work well. And, and that kind of a, uh, we don't even know what the long-term effects of that are on children that are raised in those environments and that sort of thing. But perversion is another sign of the times. And one that's not on my list, but I was thinking about it this morning, is the unsanctity of human life. I, was, I looked it up in Matthew. Jesus says, What's the words he used? Woe to those that cause one of the least of these to stumble. It would be better that a millstone was placed around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. I'm telling you, there is natural laws and there is a God that is loving and gracious and patient and kind and forgiving to all of us. But at some point, when you violate the fixed orders of creation, sooner or later, God is going to speak Spanish and say, No mas! And the consequences of that are going to fall on the people that have embraced those things. And heaven help those that are snuffing out the lives of the unborn. Or those that are actively engaged in our country right now, trying to relax the stringency of the laws against pedophilia. There is an organization that is gaining strength, NAMBLA, North American Man-Boy Love Association. These are things that are happening in our society. It has nothing to do with me being narrow-minded or phobic or something like that. Life just doesn't work that way. And when these things are happening, 
all around us. It's time for us to wake up and realize that something is afoot and God is getting ready to roll. And I want to be on the right side of that issue when that happens. Last two slides. It could get worse. The the top part got clipped here. It should say, buckle up. It could get worse before it gets better. And there's, this, this has nothing to do with me being Pentecostal preacher. But we're hearing it every day on the news now. That food shortages worldwide are around the corner and it may affect us now. It might be time for us to read the story of Joseph and the advice that he gave to Pharaoh when a famine was coming in Egypt. And to prepare ourselves. Because we have sown to the wind and we will reap the whirlwind. I don't think that it's going to be um, much better for Christians. When I was talking about lawlessness, now it's becoming acceptable to break into churches and disrupt worship services. All in the name of the new God that's being created of self. Buckle up. Times can get hard. Economically they can get hard. They're saying now, they being the experts that I read, that it's just about out of the question that we're going to have a soft landing to this economic crisis now. It's going to be a hard landing. And that's going to affect every one of us as well. Now, the last thing, and there's more I could say there. That's why we're having a Q&A after. I told you this thing could go for two hours. Last thing. And the top got clipped on this one. I promise I won't use this set of slides again. It doesn't come across very well. Look up. Your redemption is drawing nigh. Okay? God is always in control. And we don't know whether it is the second coming of Christ and preceding that or the first event in that, the rapture that we are on the cusp of, I pray and hope it is. And, but even if this is not the end of the end, look up. Because time and again in history, God has said, enough is enough. And I'm stepping in to change things. And we are not a lost nation. There are tens of millions of sincere, fervent, Bible-believing Christians in this land. And if you expand that definition to just nominal Christians, 75% of 340 million people in some way, shape, or form would say that they are Christian. We're not as pagan as Sodom and Gomorrah or those other places. But I'm telling you, the trajectory is in the wrong direction. One thing I brought up here, I I taught a class at college uh, called World Political Systems. And we were talking about democracy. And there's just, uh, these are certain things that are necessary for the temple of democracy to survive. And I want to read through this list. This isn't a complete list, but I just jotted down some things and I don't remember them all in order, so I wanted to read them. The temple of democracy today is under siege in our own country. I haven't even touched on this globalism and all of this other stuff that's happening right now. But the temple of democracy is being broken down. And there are those within this, um, participants in this great reset They want to tear down, abandon our Constitution and create an autocratic elite that will be telling us all how to live with less and be happy. What it takes for the temple of democracy to survive, I'll just read this without commentary, a spiritual consensus. There has to be some kind of undergirding moral compass. It it, It means there has to be the rule of law. Third, constitutional government. 
for an elite that are committed to democracy, not the pretense that we see pretending to be in favor of that today. It takes checks and balances and state institutions, separation between federal and state power, and separation of power between uh, executive and legislative and judicial branches. It takes honesty and accountability. It takes national unity. It takes national wealth and resources. We have those aplenty. It takes a vibrant middle class. It takes an educated public. It takes uh, support for the disadvantaged in a safety social net. It takes citizens to be involved. It takes education, not indoctrination, and an open exchange of ideas. And it takes teamwork. Now I would say by that criteria, we're in the intensive care unit right now. Now it can turn around and here is the last thought. We need to find the place where God wants us to stand and serve. In your home, in your community, in our nation. I'll just throw out a couple of things here as illustrative. Just driving up here on Sundays. I look at that, I look at that playground out there. I don't know if you ever had a preschool or not. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. But we need uh, this little church. Now if you're looking for a, for a mission, we need to find ways to minister to our children. See? And, and be a voice of light that is there. Do you know that the homeschool movement in the last year or two has increased 50% in America? If the public schools are going to buy into this lie, take your kids, that, that's one of the things the government will try to take away your right to do, but they haven't done it yet, and instruct your kids at home. I've been asked to be a part. I don't know what's going to come of this. But there's some pastors in, in Las Vegas that have asked me if I would be a part of bringing a Christian university to Las Vegas. And Vanguard University is wanting to work with us on that. Okay? In a community, a valley of two point what million people, there is not one accredited Christian college that is here. You can do things online. So there are ways that we need to get involved. I'm telling you, Gideon's army with 300 people scattered the Midianites. And if we realize that it's time, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I'm almost done. This evil is not going to go away without being confronted. It's not going to go away. And this evil, we cannot coexist with it. It has to be destroyed. Now, I'm not saying when or where or how that's going to be. And I mentioned this last Sunday when we were talking about the Holy Spirit. And I, I talked about uh, what the Lord was speaking to me out of the book of, of, of Joshua. Boy, it's offensive. Kill everybody in the villages. Because if you don't, you're going to be seduced by them. Now I'm not telling us to take out our ARs and that sort of thing, but in one way or another, we have to stand in opposition to the evil that is trying to the Satan that is trying to take back to the, what's the song that came to my mind? Take back what Satan stole from us. And I believe there's great promise in future. We can see a day of the Lord come. That would be a way of renewal and awakening and reform in our own country. We have the apparatus to do that and we have the numbers to do that. Do we have the faith and courage and conviction to pursue that? And so, I can't change the world through this little speech here this morning. But I hope I've given you something to think about and to pray about. It's time for us to rise up and quit being intimidated by the false narrative and the lies. That was another whole point. Oh man, in the, in the Q&A after this, if you want to ask me, it is a lying spirit that is trying to win and take the day today. 
So I, I'm, I'm going to stop. It's time to stop. How do I end this thing? Um, it is. It is. So I want you to be hopeful. God wins in this. But these are tough times that we're living in. The end. No fear. He is. He is. He is. So I hope I didn't depress you. Good. Yeah, you did. Oh, oh, this is what I wanted to read. Yes. I don't know if it, can somebody find it because it scrolls by the end. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate. He relents from sending calamity. Next slide. Slow to anger, abounding in love. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy feast and call a sacred assembly. Aren't those good words? And this is what Joel was prophesying and proclaiming to the southern kingdom of Judah just before the northern kingdom fell. And there was a renewal that happened in the land. And so those verses in Joel, I, I just I came across those yesterday. I thought, you know, those are good verses for us. Who knows? The Lord may relent and bring a day of blessing. And I think that's what his heart yearns to do. Lord, we just thank you for this time here this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you hold the future in your hands. We thank you, Lord, that at the end of the day that Satan is nothing more than your useful idiot. And we pray, Lord, that we would not be fearful or intimidated by him, but, we, <coughs> but that we would not attempt to combat him in our own strength but in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit and guided by your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Bless us as uh, we brought this service to a close and in the week ahead, and if there's those that want to continue, bless us in our conversation. We thank you for this time in your presence today. Amen.